I'm going to say a word to you that signifies a very specific book of the Bible. And when I say it, it usually elicits one of three responses. Because today we're going to begin our study just of the tail end of the book of Revelation. And usually when people hear Revelation, one of three things happen. They think of monsters with horns, because it talks about monsters with horns. They think of, oh my goodness, I will never understand it. You're right, neither will I. So let's get that out of the way first. There's a lot there that doesn't quite make sense to us. But every once in a while, you meet someone that gets excited about Revelation because they understand it in the context of what God has done, what he's doing right now, and what he promises to do yet. Because we in the Christian church today worship a God whose son, whose son's return is what we called imminent. And if you don't know what that means, what imminent means is he's coming at any time, but he hasn't told us when. But he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to restore things to the way they were created to be. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to open this up to a lot greater detail. But today, I want to start with a basic understanding of how did we get here? If you've been joining us in our Bible reading plan, you started at the beginning. You started in Genesis. Well, in the beginning, God. First off, first thing we have to understand before we get into any study of Revelation is that God always has been. Okay? There's never, and this, this sounds bigger than our brains, okay? That's why he's God and you're not. Understand that. There is never a time when God has not been. Now, that doesn't make sense in what we call a temporal mind because we think in terms of start and stop. For instance, you're noticing that I've started preaching at after 11.45, therefore, how long is this sermon going to go when Mike normally preaches for a while? Not that long, I promise. We're just going to do an introduction today. But we're already thinking about things like lunch, or I'm thinking about what time do I need to get to the airport for my flight, and I'll tell you about that in a little while. And all these different things. We think in terms of starting and stopping, yet we're told right in the beginning, in the beginning, God, first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we flip over in our Bibles to a book called John, quite possibly the same guy that wrote Revelation. Most believe it was. And he wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he's referring to this person called the Logos. He's not just referring to the Bible, he's actually referring to the person of Jesus Christ. So now all of the sudden we've gotten some things together and we realize that, okay, I got to take my glasses off so I can stay focused on you. In the beginning, God, and then as we read John 1, Jesus was there with him. And as we read Genesis 3 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 1, God is seemingly talking to himself because he says, let us make man in our own image. Huh? Well, the amazing thing about God in our human understanding, remember, he is bigger than us. 
in every way, shape, or form. But he functions in three parts of one whole. Now, it doesn't work easily to give any metaphor, but there is God the Father who is active and who we seek to bring glory to his name in every area of life. There is God the Son, Jesus Christ, who became man and made his dwelling among us, on whom all of creation was held in his hands, we're told in John. And there is God the Holy Spirit, who is walking with us as our counselor, as our teacher, as the one that gives us good gifts and created those gifts for us to be used mightily by him for his glory, not our own. For instance, if you have the gift of administration, you might use that to be very successful in the workplace. But did you know that's not what you were created for? Human success wasn't your end goal. The glory of God, using your gifts to bring glory to his name was your end. Now, if while you're at work, everyone happens to come to know Jesus Christ because of what a good worker and administrator you are, then you're getting the idea. It's a subtle difference. So we were created in the very image of the triune God. Again, what? It gets better. And in so doing, God gave us this thing that I don't understand at all and I never will. He gave us a choice. He gave us a choice of how we would live. So by the time, it doesn't take very long in the Bible to get to the part where a little snake comes up and tempts the woman. And don't blame Eve. Adam was just as culpable here. But in so doing, Eve chose to disobey the right path that God had laid out and said, this is the best way to live. She believed the doubt that was planted in her mind that God was trying to keep her from the best life. That God was somehow not wanting her to have the fullness of life, to have wisdom, because surely God's keeping something from you, hiding something from you. Surely you won't die if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, in fact, that's exactly what did happen. And so she shared the fruit with Adam. And thus, sin entered the world. Ever since, from the dawn of creation ever since, the world has been in this constant cycle of fighting between choosing the right way to go, which is where God is leading, following his way and his will, being the people we were created for, versus our natural human nature, the sin that infects us, choosing to put God's way ahead of our own. And so by the time we get to Revelation, Revelation becomes this great picture. As you go all the way through it, it starts with revealing that it's a letter to seven churches. And they're in all states of worship success. Uh, if you remember the church in Sardis, Paul has no, uh, no praise for them because they're asleep. So if you're asleep this morning, go, go read that part of Revelation. Uh, but he's actually referring to their lukewarm in their faith. They're, they're, they know the right answers, but they're not doing anything. Others aren't even doing that. Others are blatantly telling false truths about who God is, and their lives aren't representing him as they should be. 
And so Revelation begins with this decree against the seven early churches. But it goes on from there into what we call apocryphal, or uh, not apocryphal, that's in the middle. Apocalyptic sounds much better and would be the right thing. If you read your bulletin, it's in there. The end of times, the end of all things. It's this apocalyptic, prophetic letter that gives us a picture of what is to come. But interestingly, there are historical elements of it throughout. For instance, to understand Revelation, you can't ignore Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah to start with. Okay, that's just a few. So know that there's a lot of reading that goes into preparing us for just the few minutes that we have. But what we learn there, one, is what the uh, wise king that he was, there's nothing new under the sun. And so our scripture reading today starts with a comparative look at two cities. Because as we started at the beginning, man and woman choosing temporal or finite, if you will, or something that will end pleasure over trusting the truth of God. And for ever since, for the millennia that have followed, that's the path we have chosen. Paul tells us in Rome that all, or in the letter to the church in Rome, Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have traded the creator and instead begun to worship creation. We have begun to honor ourselves and elevate us way up here and say, God, you don't have a place in us. If you open up your Bibles to Roman, or Revelation chapter 17, you would find the following words. And I'm going to only read a brief part of it here uh, as time is limited. But this letter is referring to the woman they call her named Babylon. And I'll explain a little bit about Babylon in the three ways we can understand that following. But the woman, verse 4, if you'd like to follow along, Revelation chapter 17 If you've got your digital devices, you can go ahead and click there. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. Go to the end and flip about five pages back. If you do not have either of those and would like a Bible, please raise your hand. We have plenty of Bibles in the back. We would love to make sure you can follow along with us. Revelation 17, starting with verse 4, says this. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. Just out of curiosity, who wears purple and scarlet in this time of the world? Yeah, Anybody remember? the royal people, or some of us in this room raising their hand, and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She was held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Now, before I continue, just pause and think of the, this, the degradation, the despicable grossness that is illustrated in those short verses. This is a very real picture of what God is showing us the world has become already, Because John is writing us at the time when Rome was at the height of its empire. And Rome called an atheist a Christian. 
because Christians only believed in one God. And Roman society said, you've got to believe in many. You're, what you call Rome, and Roman and Greek mythology was polytheism, the worship of many gods. And so if you only worshiped one God, you must be an atheist. You must not really understand how religion works. And so even then, there is this breakdown of society. And we'll talk more about this as the weeks go on. But the things that were done are compared to the great brokenness of sexual sin and what it does to the body and what it does to society. It's despicable and it's destructive. And this woman Babylon is representative of a society that has given freedom to exercise all of these sinful pleasures, all of these sinful behaviors that are, in your NIV, abominable. Now, most of us, the only time we ever use the word abominable is referring to a snowman, right? So we have to think a little bit about what that means. Abominable means just the most awful and destructive presence possible. Now, the dictionary would be more loquacious than that, But at the end of the day, abominable means just gross, just destructive, just almost the epitome of evil. Now that you've got the idea, I want you to flip in your Bibles just a couple pages over to chapter 21. And again, I'm not going to read much. I just want to give you a taste. And by the way, We could spend the next five years covering the book of Revelation and we would only touch the surface. We're going to do it over the next couple months. So I need you to read this on your own. I need you to invest in time of studying this on your own. And I want to give you some warnings as well as we go on. But in Revelation chapter 9, you find out a few things as we're hearing about this place called the New Jerusalem. And, And to... To skip ahead a little bit, I want to describe you from verse 21 down. So follow along with me. Revelation 21, 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Now that's some seriously valuable gold. I've never seen gold like that. The gold I buy usually turns my fingers colors. I did not see a a temple in the city. But there's always to be a temple in every city, right? That's why you got to keep reading. Isn't this great? I don't even have to say anything. The Bible preaches itself. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Stop right there. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Jesus told us something when he gave us communion as a sacrament, as a remembrance. What did he tell us to do? If, if we're in a normal, in often churches, it says it right across. It says, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, as what's called the Passover lamb the one that pays the penalty for our sins so we don't have to. So here in Revelation 21, we are told right there that the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb 
Jesus Christ is its lamp. Well, let's, let's unpack that just a little more for just a second. Jesus Christ, when he was walking this earth as a fully human and fully God, which again, paradox that doesn't make sense to our little minds, but go with me. He says, I am the light of the world. In me, there is no darkness. Paul, says us, Paul tells us there is no darkness in Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. And here, later on, we read around 96 AD when John's writing this, that Jesus is to be the light of the world, that he and the Father are walking in step, that we don't even need a sun anymore. Scientists tell me, and I don't know how true it is or how to figure out the math, but our sun is slowly burning out. Now, in one hand, that's really great for me. Here's why. Look at what color I am. I have two shades, white and red. So if the sun's burning out, maybe the rays won't be so dangerous and I won't get sunburned all the time. So that should be exciting to me. But that's not how it works at all. Our bodies, our world, our universe continue to break down because that's the destructive nature of sin on this place. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. And I and the Father will light the world and the Holy Spirit will be there with us. The city doesn't need light because they will provide the light. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. There will be no danger there. There's no need to close the gates. We live in a place called Saikung. If you're familiar with Hong Kong, Saikung is called the back garden of Hong Kong. But there's often more open space. And so Chinese New Year, every year, the police department is gracious enough to send us some notes reminding us all over the town to watch out for thieves because apparently Chinese New Year is a great time to steal. And given the the year we've already had with thieves, we're going to make extra sure we're being very cautious and vigilant to protect. When Jesus returns, when the new Jerusalem is here, there is no fear. There is no need to be afraid. Sin and death have been conquered. Jesus has come back and he's brought his people back to him. And it goes on. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into the new Jerusalem. Nothing impure will ever enter into it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, all we have time for today is to ask a simple question. And I promise when I come back in a week, uh, in two weeks, I should say, we're going to ask and look at these two more. But I just described to you two societies. One, the Bible tells us, is abominable. One is destructive. One is full of immorality, greed, and lust. The other is full of hope. The other invites people in, saying, all who have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And how do you get written into the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, we believe on Jesus Christ. And those that are written are welcomed in. And Jesus said, I've come that all who call on my name might be saved. And there's no light. There's no sadness. Later on in Revelation, as we'll talk, we're told that there are no more tears. 
There's no more death. There's no more sin. Now, right off that, that's just a brief description of two societies, a tale of two cities. If you bought one of our new study Bibles, you're going to see a table uh, in Revelation 17 that should help you look at the comparison of these two tables. And I will show you that in, in two weeks' time when we come back. But if I was to choose which city to live in or which society to go for, which do you think I'd choose? I want the one where there's no more sadness and no more darkness and no more fear and no more danger, right? Yeah. Seems like a pretty dumb question, Mike. I thought Revelation was confusing. Oh, it is. There's a lot that we need to work hard and prayerfully consider um, because this is what we know about Revelation. Revelation is meant to reveal truth, not to obscure or distort it. The book of Revelation was given us to show us what God is doing, what he has in store, and what he's already done. But the thing is, sin is very, very tempting. Look around, and you find all over the place the vices of this world that tempt us into choosing things that shouldn't be. And it calls for a mind with wisdom to discern how do we live as holy? How do we live with eternity, with the new Jerusalem in mind when we are daily bombarded with the choice of choosing to sin? We're daily bombarded with the choice that I'm going to use words like sexy because they're talked about all the time. Sin is sexy. Materialism is what we need or you've got to have the newest. One of the great things is you are entering into Chinese New Year. Now, (laughs) two of us in this room both did it accidentally and forgot, but... This is a time when everything is new, right? Tradition says, in fact, I've, no, I've had neighbors that went and bought new houses at Chinese New Year because it was good to get everything new at Chinese New Year. Now, some of you, I found out a horribly difficult lesson this week. Haircutters raised their prices last week. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why? It's actually a really brilliant business strategy. Everybody's getting their haircut because you've got to have a new haircut for Chinese New Year. No, I just needed a haircut. And I paid twice as much for it because of that. I'm done now. I digress. But we get all focused on all that's new. Look at Hong Kong. We idolize the new. We idolize the next. We idolize prosperity. We idolize success. What do we push our kids to in the schools? to make sure they're the most successful kid in their school. So they get into the band band one primary and the band one secondary, and then they go to Oxford or Harvard or take your pick. Sorry, I just chose the first two off my brain. You can choose others that are probably better, but you get the idea. We push so hard at success. And that sounds an awful lot like the pollution of this world. Success on its own is not bad. Please don't misunderstand. Success for selfish gain rather than following the way the Lord leads is bad and it's destructive. But Mike, that doesn't make sense. Well, I want to finish with a story. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty simple story. On Friday afternoon, I was sitting down. It had been just a really full week as, as I'm preparing uh, with Melissa for what's coming next week. And I'll tell you about that. And I got a phone call from a friend. 
he's, he's not one that has yet chosen to follow Jesus. I say has yet because I believe God is working in his heart. But he said, can you come over sometime? And I said, well, I've got a meeting. Or this was, uh, I don't remember. This must have been Thursday night. And I said, well, I've got a meeting, but I can maybe come over after the meeting. Uh, and he said, okay. And so he came over and he just wanted to talk. And he's been going through some very difficult things. And he asked me, he asked me some questions. He said, so you really believe that stuff you talk about? I'm like, well, yeah. It'd be kind of hard to talk about it for a living if, it's, if I don't believe it. And he said, so you believe it to be true? I said, well, let me give you some examples of how I know it to be true, both through how things have worked out. But what about science? And I said, well, I don't think we've come to the end of science yet. Uh, I said, I believe we have much to learn. And I believe that God is bigger than just our science and understanding of what he's doing. He said, oh, okay. And that one bugged him because it, it wasn't the answer he wanted so that he could disprove it. And he, was, he wasn't trying to pick a fight. He's, he's a nice guy and he knows that we can agree to disagree and I still love him. But then he asked the question that the rubber met the road. He said, so why does it have to be like this? And I thought about it and I thought, you know, I could just answer him, but he clearly isn't at the point because he just told me he doesn't want anything to do with God yet. So I said, okay, so I'm not going to try to shove this down his throat today. And I, I started praying, Lord, please give me a, wine, a mind with wisdom right now. And instead what I did, and all I said, and then he went off. And he began chatting of great transparency. I said, friend, I'm not going to tell you his name. I said, do you think this is the best it gets? He said, what do you mean? I said, do you, do you think that this is as good as humanity is going to get on our own? And he thought about that. And he said, I hope not. And I said, well, my worldview dictates that I'm not building for the next 30 or 40 years, however I have left. I'm building for the next 10 million. And I get to be part of eternity where life gets better and better and better. And I get to function the way I have to be. And being me, then I cracked a joke about being short and that I'll be taller in heaven and whatnot. But as I said that, shouldn't that be where we all strive to be? Now, there are days when I worry about my retirement, where I worry about how I'm going to pay for my kids' university, where I worry about the things of this earth that are passing away. I am still human, and I still struggle with these things. But when it all comes down to this, I take great comfort in what the Apostle Paul said. I consider all things rubbish, but for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Nothing in this world can distract and destroy from the greatness of God. So which society do we want to be part of? Do we want to live for eternity in mind? Or do we want to be distracted by Babylon? Babylon throughout the Bible, and we'll talk more about this in two weeks, I promise, was used as the epitome of the evil empire. If you were around back in the 90s when George W. Bush was president, Babylon would have been considered the axis of evil. It was all that was wrong with society and selfish gain at others' expense. And God, even in Revelation, is saying there is so much more than what you see right in front of you. 
Now, the tough side of Revelation is there's a lot more going on that sometimes we're afraid to look at, and we have to face judgment. We have to look at how wrath is dealt with and what God does. But the return of Christ is imminent, and we look forward to him bringing his own back to himself. The mandate for us is twofold. One, uh, we're preparing with eternity in mind. And two, are we trying to bring everyone we can with us? Are we not thinking of those outside our walls as just strangers, but of those desperately in need of eternal life? I pray that as we go through Revelation, just the last five chapters, our hearts would be open to the wonderful imperative on us to make God's great glory known to all peoples, both here and abroad. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I, I, I know we've just touched the surface of what's going to be a pretty in-depth look at a, not the most, not the simplest book to understand, but you tell us in your word that we can pray and ask you for wisdom and you give it without reproach. In other words, you forgive us for not understanding. You forgave your disciples for their confusion and you use them mightily. So I confess, Lord, that revelation confuses me. But I know that you will give us wisdom and you will shape our lives as we walk through this study together. As we enter into the new lunar year, Lord, may our hearts be turned not toward thinking just about a monkey or monkeys, but may our hearts be turned toward home for eternity. And as we talk to family members this week, maybe they don't know you, give us opportunities. Give us the wisdom to respond in a way that points them to you and to your eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, amen.